Today's guest is John Solomon, CEO of Just the News, the go-to website for breaking news on the special edition of the Doc Washburn Show. Welcome to the Voice of the Resistance with Doc Washburn. We're the show that pushes back against the Uniparty and the Deep State and lets you in the news that traditional talk radio is all too often afraid to talk about. This is episode 378 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show for Tuesday, May 2nd, 2023. This is a really different kind of talk show. We're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you'd like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashburn.com, and click on the button that says Become a Patron. Also, please remember to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. And make sure you check out our new conservative sports podcast, Red Pill Sports, with my friend Donnie Copeland, which drops Tuesday evenings at 11 p.m. Central. John Solomon is an award-winning investigative journalist and author. He's CEO and editor-in-chief of JustTheNews.com, your one-stop shop for breaking news. His new book, Hidden Headlines, teaches kids what he has learned over his career in journalism, that the search for truth is the most important quest, and is one that many in the media have abandoned in their pursuit of money and power. Brother Solomon, it is an honor to have you back on the Doc Washburn Show. How are you today? I am well. Good to be with you. Good deal. Now, before I start asking you about all the controversial issues in the news today, please tell us about your new book for children, Hidden Headlines. Why should moms and dads go out and buy this book for the children? Absolutely. So I never thought in my wildest dreams I'd write a child uh, children's book, but over the last three years, I've experienced uh, an extraordinary dynamic in America where a large number of young adults in America think censorship's okay. And as a result, censorship has occurred on stories I wrote about Hunter Biden, about the Hunter Biden laptop, about the uh, origins of COVID-19 from a possible lab leak in Wuhan. And it was shocking to me there wasn't more outcry. And so I realized, well, wait a second, why is this happening? I did some research. I started to realize there are two generations of American students that have gone through school without being taught the civic lessons of free speech, why the First Amendment was first, why the Bill of Rights were considered inalienable rights. And I realized we got to do something. we got to step into the void. And so I took my son's pet hamster. His name is Chunk. And we turned him into a newspaper editor in a magical community um, called Starlot City. And we helped tell an entertaining, fun story with lots of animals and color and great And this is where we were disconnected, so I have edited out these several attempts that I made to try to get reconnected, and we go right back into our interview. John Solomon here. Yes, John Solomon. Perhaps I should rename this the Wrestling with Technology Hour. (laughs) (laughs) We could give tech advice for the next hour. (laughs) Yes, yes, absolutely. Okay, well, let let me ask you about some stuff in the news. You were an opinion contributor for Fox News in 2019 and 2020. You still know a lot of people over there. What on earth happened to Tucker Carlson? Yeah, I don't think we know, right? I think the problem for Fox Nation, the, the, when I say Fox Nation, I mean the audience, yeah. is that they haven't gotten a clear explanation why the most popular host and one of its younger and, and more engaging hosts uh, uh, just suddenly left the airwaves. And there's been leaks and suggestions and insinuations but no explanation. And so I think we're all in the dark. We can speculate, but I don't think we really know. And at some point, I don't think the audience is going to come back to Fox until it can get a plausible explanation to its audience, explain things. Now, these are tricky things when HR matters and legal matters are involved, but I think its loyal audience wants an explanation for why such an abrupt and to such a 
important uh, voice in American politics, and we'll just have to wait and see if either side delivers that answer to us at some point soon. Yeah, no question about it. And, and he was saying things and breaking stories on Fox News that nobody else was even talking about. Do, do you think he is correct? Are we already in a shooting war with Russia and Ukraine? Listen, it's a proxy war. There's no doubt about it, right? We're arming the Ukrainians. The Russians are getting armed by Iran and China. And, uh, we're fighting over territory that uh, is right on the edge of the NATO alliance. And so, yes, it's a proxy war. We understand it to be a proxy war. I don't think Russia would like to get into a full war with the United States. It couldn't win that war, even with Joe Biden as commander-in-chief. So they, they, they're going to fight this proxy. They're going to uh, try to gain as much territory as they can in the Ukrainian region and then at some point look for some settlement. I'm not sure the Ukrainians are ready to settle. They have shown a medal and a determination, and right now there's a big expectation of a Ukrainian offensive that could further embarrass Putin and push the Russians back. But, uh, yes, listen, it's a, it's a proxy war without doubt. Uh, it won't escalate to something more than that right now, I don't think. Uh, but I do think that Russia at some point may suffer enough losses and look for an exit strategy. Well, from your lips to God's ears, I certainly hope it doesn't escalate uh, to something more because between Biden and, and Blinken and these knuckleheads, it, it, it makes it look like they're wanting to get in a, in a hot war with a, a nuclear power. The, you know, the, the adults are definitely not in charge. Yeah, I think on the Russia side, I think Russia just has an equation that that's not a war it can win, and I think yeah. that uh, nor would it try to win. And so uh, I think Russia's interest right now is much more regional and, uh, you know, barring some unnecessary episode, hopefully this comes to a resolution short of a more full-scale conflict. Yeah, I sure hope so. Now, you were on my radio show back in September 2020 to, to, to discuss, if I can spit it out, your excellent book, Fallout, Nuclear Bribes, Russian Spies, and the Washington Lies That Enriched the Clinton and Biden Dynasties. We talked about uh, John Durham at that time. To refresh my listeners' memories, October 2020, then Attorney General William Barr appointed Durham as a special counsel to investigate crimes in the Russia collusion hoax and the Obama-era crossfire hurricane investigation. I think a lot of us had high hopes. What happened to John Durham? Well, I think he went to court. So he brought a total of three different criminal charges, one against an FBI lawyer who doctored evidence in the Russia collusion case. That lawyer pled out, didn't really get much penalty, but admitted to doing a heinous crime, which was to um, deceive the FISA court uh, and, and violate the civil rights of uh, of an American citizen named Carter Page, an advisor to uh, President Trump. Then he brought two indictments that had extraordinary storylines about how the Russia collusion case was concocted uh, with assets assisting the FBI. One of those was a lawyer for the Clinton campaign, a guy named Sussman. Another was a Russian national that uh, provided source material to steal that turned out not to be true at all. But uh, Durham suffered two consecutive losses. Both men were acquitted by Washington, D.C. juries, even though the evidence of their alleged crimes was pretty straightforward. There wasn't much doubt about what happened. And I think at that point, John Durham realized he could not bring any further criminal charges in a city of Washington, D.C., where 86% of the electorate voted for Hillary Clinton, less than 14% voted for Donald Trump, that the jury poll simply wouldn't sustain further convictions, and so he's moved to writing a report that will give us at least the a penalty of shame, shaming those who were involved in this heinous uh, political dirty trick. And that report should come out sometime this spring or summer. That's the expectation among 
uh, Justice Department insiders. And, of course, a lot of us uh, get frustrated about a lack of accountability. Now, we've been hearing sure. recently yeah, about an IRS whistleblower threatening to spill the beans on Biden corruption. Yes. You have uh, written a lot about Biden corruption. But do you think any of the Bidens are ever going to be held legally accountable, though? It's a great question. I, right now, Hunter Biden's legal team is expecting an indictment imminently in the next days or a few weeks, uh, maybe two to three felonies, two involving uh, taxes, one involving his application for a gun where he falsely stated he had never used illegal drugs. Um, and, uh, and then they're going to duke it out in the courts. Uh, that case may very well end up in Washington, D.C., the same jury poll that wouldn't convict uh, under the Durham standards. So we won't know what the outcome is, but certainly an indictment of a sitting president's relative son uh, would be an extraordinary moment in American history, and it would affirm something that just two, three years ago, when I first wrote the first stories at the Hill identifying the corruption scheme with Burisma in Ukraine and Joe Biden firing the Ukrainian prosecutor, well, uh, we were told then it was a conspiracy theory. It was Russian disinformation. It never was. But we were deprived of that information for two or three years some sort of indictment in Washington against a Biden family member would create the ultimate 180-degree turn. The media, the Democratic elite, the intelligence establishment that falsely kept us from uh, understanding the Hunter Biden laptop or the stories I had wrote, they censored them. They would be just as accountable as anything Hunter Biden would be accused of in that indictment. So a lot of people expect that to happen now. The question is, will that be that indictment be as sweeping as the evidence that the FBI and IRS gathered? And this IRS whistleblower has now been cleared to talk to Congress. He got permission from the House. He got permission from the House Ways and Means Committee to divulge uh, secret taxpayer information about Hunter Biden to explain what happened. His story, according to his lawyer, is that political appointees of the Biden Justice Department blocked serious charges from being filed against Hunter Biden for the last couple of years. Uh, and that that is in contravention to the testimony that Merrick Garland gave everybody in a Senate hearing both last year and again in March. Uh, the Attorney General claimed that there was no political interference. This, uh, this IRS agent claims to have evidence of significant political interference. The Inspector General, the internal watchdog of the Justice Department, the House Ways and Means Committee, the Senate Finance Committee, the House Judiciary Committee are all investigating those claims right now, and we may soon, when I mean soon, I mean in the next two, three weeks, get the full body of evidence. He's going to turn it over to Congress, be deposed, and at that moment we're likely to get a report of information of what actually happened. I sure hope so. Now, speaking of which, 51 former Intel officials lied about the Hunter Biden laptop having all the classic signs of Russian disinformation. Anthony Blinken apparently wrote the letter asking for their help. Now he's saying, oh, no, no, I didn't mean it. That wasn't me, whatever. But no doubt it was election interference. It helped sway the 2020 election. Again, do you think anybody's ever going to be held accountable for this? Well, that's a great question. I have a story up today on Justin News that addresses that. Several members of Congress, Republican senators, Republican House members, saying they they are preparing legislation to defund any current or future contracts to the 51 intelligence experts who signed that letter and also to defund any security clearances. Obviously, if you don't have a security clearance, you can't make money as an intelligence professional, or at least not a lot of money in Washington with that. So the storyline is this. This is what the body of evidence shows. The former CIA director, Mike Morrell, circulated by his own admission and organized the letter. He said he was triggered to do so by a call from uh, Anthony Blinken, now our Secretary of State, then the Biden campaign. 
Morell said that while Blinken didn't specifically instruct him to do the letter, he planted the idea, and he also forwarded him a key piece of information that ends up in that letter. This is a USA Today fact check suggesting that maybe the Hunter Biden laptop was Russian disinformation. That USA Today story wasn't true, but it was used to insert the notion of Russian disinformation into the letter. So Blinken triggers the idea for the letter, and he provides the key piece of evidence to him. Anthony Blinken says, well, it wasn't my idea. Well, that's like saying it wasn't my idea for the illegal alien to cross the border, but you left the border open. (laughs) Anthony Blinken was clearly deeply involved in this. There is several efforts to get him to answer questions to Congress under the penalty of perjury or penalty of lying to Congress. He has yet to answer those questions. He made a brief comment uh, saying it just wasn't my idea. That's not the allegation. We didn't say you conceived the idea. We, 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 uh, the evidence suggests you caused the, the letter to happen and you provided some of the key information. Most importantly, though, is that there is overwhelming evidence that the Biden campaign uh, not only assisted this effort, it actually got it into the media. Why is that important? It no longer is an organic intelligence event like Joe Biden portrayed it when he used it during the 2020 campaign to blunt questions about Hunter Biden. He said, look, independent intelligence experts say this is Russian disinformation. First off, those experts had no basis to make the claim. But secondly, those uh, uh, experts were organized by the Biden campaign. It was not an organic event. It was a political dirty trick. That has implications under federal election law. The FEC has now opened an investigation of the Biden campaign and possible collusion with those 51. There could be an illegal corporate contribution. Now, the penalty will be a fine, for which for most candidates is a slap on the hand. But the idea that what we thought was an organic an effort to, uh, by intelligence experts to warn us about something they thought was legit, we now know it wasn't legit, it wasn't organic, it was political, and most importantly, it is the single largest intrusion by spies in an American election in American history. And these spies weren't Russian, they weren't Chinese, they weren't Iranian, they weren't North Korean. They were American spies trained at our taxpayer expense using their names and their credentials to fake us into thinking the Hunter Biden laptop and all of its allegations, which started with my reporting in 2019, that it was Russian disinformation when, in fact, it was honest, accurate evidence of an influence peddling scheme by the Biden family. Wow. So the last episode of my podcast was all about the 60 Minutes whitewash of January 6th figure Ray Epps. Why is Ray Epps the only figure associated with January 6th that for some reason the mainstream media just loves? Yeah, it's hard for us to know. It's also hard to know why he wasn't charged given the, the statements that are captured on video. He says he wasn't doing anything wrong. We got that side of the store clearly from 60 Minutes. Um, a lot of people say, hey, it's a conspiracy theory, but there are other people indicted or in prison that did similar things, and so there's a great question. Why is he treated differently? Why was he on the most wanted list and then dropped from it? There's no explanation for it. Um, uh, we may not get answers until uh, those in power in Congress actually force the FBI, the Justice Department, the Homeland Security, the Capitol Police, to answer those questions. Uh, but we have more questions than we have answers. I take Ray Epps at his word that he doesn't believe he did anything wrong. I think most Americans look at that video footage and say, well, it looks a lot like what other people got arrested for. Why is he different? And the answer to that question, even after the 60 Minutes piece, is still not clear. Why do we not have arrests yet two and a half years later for the bombs that were planted at the DNC uh, that same day? Who were those people? What was the purpose of that operation? We don't know. 
unusual for our government. We usually are able to solve cases like this. But in this case, there are some mysterious gaps in the storyline, mysterious gaps in the accountability line. And as my reporting showed last summer and fall, working with Congressman Rodney Davis at the time and the House Administration Committee, the Capitol Police had overwhelming evidence that a uh, significant violent episode was going to occur at the Capitol. They started to get that evidence on December 21st. It continued to solidify all the way up to January 5th, the day before the Capitol riots, and yet they made no significant adjustment to the resources, no significant adjustment to their security posture. They turned down the help of the National Guard, which could have helped repel an attack, and there's no real good explanation why they did that other than, oh, we dropped the ball. I think a lot of people aren't buying that explanation as well, but a significant failure of intelligence and security occurred at the Capitol the January 6th committee and Nancy Pelosi wouldn't let us see that. We got the information out of just the news. Yeah. Congress now has it. And the question is, what will we do about it? Amen. That's a big question. Okay. Speaker McCarthy gave, back to Tucker Carlson for a second, gave his staff access to January 6th videos. They started showing some of them on a Monday night a couple of months ago, promising to show more the next night. Next morning, Chuck Schumer publicly freaked out. Mitch McConnell said McCarthy made a big mistake. That evening, Tucker showed no more new January 6th video footage, nothing about uh, policemen beating uh, Trump protesters, none of that stuff, but promised to show more the next night and then didn't. Do you have any idea what happened? Do you think Schumer put in a phone call to Rupert Murdoch? Any, any, any idea? Hard to know. Hard to know. Like so many things in the Fox um, storyline, say we don't have answers to that. It's for Fox News to answer why that happened for Tucker Carlson. I can tell you this. I am determined to get my hands on that video footage. I'm working on different ways of doing that through the uh, FOIA system, through uh, sources and lawmakers. And we at Justin News are going to endeavor to get that information and allow people to see it again for transparency's sake. It isn't for scoring political points. It is for making sure that we can learn from this episode. And one of the things that disturbs me more than anything is the number of people who have come on my show, the television show and radio show, the last six months, uh, people in authority, like the former chief, chief's son, the former deputy chief, several of his lieutenants, several of the FBI officials, several members of Congress who have responsibility for oversight of the Capitol, and they all said exactly the same thing. The United States Capitol is no more safe today than it was on January 5th, and that should concern us all. The fact that we haven't changed our security posture or learned from the mistakes of January 4, 5, 6, is concerning to all of us. It doesn't matter your political stripe. It's an important building. We should be able to protect it. And those who know what's going on tell us that it is still a a weak target that could be struck again because the police and the security apparatus aren't fixed. Amen. Well, Brother John Solomon, I know you got to run, but the new book for children is called Hidden Headlines. Uh, The wonderful website is justthenews.com. Tell my listeners where they can see you on TV. Absolutely. Real America's Voice every night, 6 o'clock, right after the Steve Bannon show, uh, a show called Just the News, No Noise with my amazing co-host, Amanda Head. And this month, if you go to bravebooks.us, bravebooks.us, you can get a free copy of my book if you sign up for their monthly book plan, a really great opportunity to share a great story with your children. Fantastic. John Solomon, uh, always an honor to speak with you, sir. And as we say here in the South, y'all come see us. Thank you, sir. Good to be with you today. God bless you. Thank you so much. Godspeed. Wow. Wow. That, uh, it's always so edifying talking to a guy like John Solomon. 
because he doesn't have to look at his notes. He knows what's going on. If the information is out there, if it's available, it is top of mind with John Solomon. And so it's always such a pleasure speaking with him. All right, uh, a lot of stuff in the news, a lot of stuff in the news that the media doesn't want you to know about. And that's coming up next on the Doc Washburn Show. All right, if you've tried to buy a car recently, you realize you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Auto comes in. Red River Auto is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to, online. And they will drive it to you no matter where you are. Red River Auto wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. Red River Auto Group has perfected the online buying process. Just go to RedRiverAuto.com, pick from hundreds of new and used vehicles. You can purchase your vehicle online, and if you have any questions, one of Red River's trained experts will help you through the whole process. Red River Auto makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom the dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door no matter where you live in the continental U.S., redriverauto.com. You will be glad you did. Now, I want to tell you about the best-kept secret in American healthcare. Are you having problems with sinuses and allergies? Are you experiencing dizziness, vertigo, problems with your blood sugar, fibromyalgia, eczema, psoriasis, even migraines? the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center might be able to help you, even if you don't live in Arkansas. Let me tell you how. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas, or C1, which only weighs 2 ounces. So it's really easy for your atlas to get out of alignment, if it does. Your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain. When that happens, your central nervous system isn't able to communicate with the rest of your body as it's designed to do. Now, I had severe hay fever for five or six weeks every spring all my life and migraines year-round. When I got my atlas adjusted, the hay fever went away, and it's never come back. And the migraines went away too. Again, if you're suffering from sinus conditions, allergies, vertigo, problems with your blood sugar, fibromyalgia, eczema, psoriasis, even migraines, do yourself a favor. Call my friends at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center at 501-279-2009 for a free consultation. They've helped me. They've helped my wife. They've helped so many people we know. Please call them to see if they can help you. That number again for your free consultation, 501-279-2009. Now, if you're outside Central Arkansas, just go to their website, turnmypoweron.com, Click on the tab that says Find a Doctor Near You, and I sure hope you can. Have you heard AT&T recently lost billions with a B, billions of dollars on Wall Street after their satellite outfit, DirecTV, decided to delete Newsmax? Now, if you want to drop AT&T, or for that matter, if you're getting tired of 
paying any of the big liberal cell phone carriers. You want to make a change? I have the perfect solution for you. Patriot Mobile is America's only Christian conservative wireless carrier. Now more than ever, it's important to band together and support companies that share our conservative values. Now, I know what you're thinking. Come on, Doc. I'd love to, but I'm afraid it would be too complicated. It would take too long. Don't worry about that. Switching to Patriot Mobile usually only takes 15 to 20 minutes. Patriot Mobile donates a portion of every dollar earned to organizations that fight for causes you care about. Patriot Mobile has exceptional nationwide coverage and uses the same towers the main carriers use. And Patriot Mobile guarantees your coverage. Patriot Mobile has plans to fit any budget, along with great discounts for our veteran and first responder heroes, as well as multi-line users. I know I'm saving money with Patriot Mobile. When you switch to Patriot Mobile, you're shifting your support from the leftist progressive agendas of Big Mobile to the Christian conservative causes of Patriot Mobile. When you become a Patriot Mobile member, your dollars are helping to fund our God-given right to freedom. A portion of every dollar they earn is given back to the causes that support organizations that fight for First Amendment religious freedom, freedom of speech, Second Amendment right to bear arms, sanctity of life, and the needs of our veterans and first responders. Switching is easy. Just do what I did. Go to PatriotMobile.com or call their U.S.-based customer service team at 972-PATRIOT and make sure you use promo code DOC, that's D-O-C, for free activation. All right, I told you I'm going to tell you some news that you just aren't hearing from the media. I don't even know if any conservative talk radio is talking about this, but you deserve to hear about it. TheEpicTimes.com, April 20th, CDC director admits vaccinated individuals can transmit COVID-19 to others. How about that? Rochelle Walensky, director of the CDC, acknowledged on April 19th that people who have received the COVID-19 vaccine can transmit the disease to others. Huh. Well, I wonder if the company that fired me for not getting the clot shot is ever going to admit this themselves. Dr. Rochelle Walensky, director of the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, made the unsupported claim back in 2021 that people who had received the COVID-19 vaccine do not carry the virus, and do not get sick. She told a congressional committee in Washington, D.C., we've had an evolution of science and an evolution of the virus. She added that the statement is no longer correct with the Omicron subvariants that we have right now. The Biden appointee, Walensky, also doubled down on her initial claim. U.S. Representative Andrew Clyde, Republican Georgia, asked her, was that statement correct? She said at the time it was... It was a wild-type virus that we had. It was even before the Alpha variant. It was the initial wild-type variant. And all the data at the time suggested that people who were vaccinated, even if they got sick, couldn't transmit the virus to anyone else. So Walensky's press secretary, Jason McDonald, was asked for citations for the claim. He provided four studies, including two published by the CDC's quasi-journal, Christine Stable Ben, a health professor at the University of Southern Denmark, told the Epic Times in an email, none of the studies are randomized trials, and they all have various flaws, irrespective 
of that they all show what I think nobody can deny, that a proportion of vaccinated individuals got ill, and when ill, they also had positive PCR tests as an indication that they will excrete the virus. Conclusion, vaccinated individuals can get ill and they can transmit the virus. Dr. Tracy Hogue, epidemiologist based in California, also said the papers don't support Walensky's claim. In a Twitter message, she told the Epic Times, they all report observed reductions, but none of them found that vaccinated people do not carry the virus, do not get sick. Are they kidding? Seems delusional to come to that conclusion from those articles. Even in March 2021, Rochelle Walensky's claim drew criticism from scientists. John Moore, virologist at Weill Cornell Medicine, told the New York Times way back in March 2021, what we know is the vaccines are very substantially effective against infection. There's more and more data on that, but nothing is 100%. The CDC said at the time, it's possible that some people who are fully vaccinated could get COVID-19. The evidence isn't clear whether they can spread the virus to others. Well, of course, the evidence is clear. The evidence has always been clear, but they lied to us, right? Just like Fauci continues to lie about not funding the gain-of-function research. They lied to us, and it's outrageous. And the question is, will anyone ever be held accountable? And we're starting to wonder, aren't we? Now, speaking of the lies, Jeffrey A. Tucker over the Brownstone Institute, brownstone.org, has a new article out called The Freezer Truck Canard. These are the days of grasping for excuses. In sector after sector, leaders who gave us lockdowns and all that followed are trying to account for their actions, not apologizing, of course, but admitting that in the classic formulation, mistakes were made. That having been said, they all agree on the core point the government had to take big steps to deal with the pandemic. A book just released from the original Lockdown Gangsters, about which I will write more later. A book celebrated by the Washington Post as the authoritative account puts it this way. Here's the quote. American leaders entering the COVID war plunged ahead with a breathtaking political and social experiment. Facing a dangerous pandemic, they adopted the broadest, most ambitious and intrusive set of government controls on social behavior in the history of the United States. Given the lack of preparation at all levels of government, mistakes were inevitable and to be expected, perhaps even excusable. Well, now, what is that book he's talking about? Well, it is called Lessons from the COVID War, an investigative report. And it's from the COVID Crisis Group. Now, Jeffrey A. Tucker goes on to say, excusable is the new watchword. And Anthony Fauci has picked it up in a recent interview. He admits that many things went wrong, but adds, I don't think anybody would argue with the fact that you had to shut down. Oh, really? Well, let's see what he says about this in his little interview clip with Christiane Amanpour of CNN, a woman reporter who has never 
even thought of a follow-up question when it comes to interviewing a liberal. I don't think anybody who has any realistic evaluation knows that you got to do something dramatic. Once that's done, then the thing that you need to now go back and analyze, I don't think anybody would argue with the fact that you had to shut down, is how long you keep the shutdown and how complete it is. That's the clip, 20 seconds. Then he adds what he clearly considers the key talking point. We know because he has said this in several interviews. He says that the obvious disaster of freezer trucks at hospitals signaled and proved the desperate need for lockdowns. Here's Fauci again. But I want to know what you think you and the community got wrong. Was the closing of the schools too draconian? How much of a delay did the fact that nobody fully understood the asymptomatic spread of this, nobody figured out that it could actually bust through certain vaccine levels as well. What are the real yeah. takeaways and yeah. the real lessons for I public think, health? Yeah. I think we have to get away from the blame game because so many of the things that you have mentioned were unknowns at the time. It's so easy, and I made that comment uh, in my response to one of the questions that Davis Wallace Weld asked me in this the is New- in the New York Times profile in the New York Times profile and I didn't mean it as an affront to him but I said you know this is really big time Monday morning quarterbacking here which is what it is so rather than than have a blame game and that's one of the things that we have to stay away from because there were things that happened and it was a moving target and there were things that you did not know at the time and you had to out of necessity make a decision and sometimes the decision was partially right. Uh, for example, let me give you an example of a partially right decision. I think the idea when you were having trucks that were cooler trucks pulling up to hospitals in order to put bodies in because the morgues were overflowing and the hospital beds were being challenged, that you had a triage, you had to shut down. I don't think anybody who has any realistic evaluation knows that you got to do something dramatic. Once that's done, then the thing that you need to now go back and analyze, I don't think anybody would argue with the fact that you had to shut down, is how long you keep the shutdown and how complete it is. How does that relate to schools? When you shut down schools, if you do, and I have been very vocal about this, and I think the people who like to point fingers, I say go and Look at the tape, (laughs) you know, the tail of the tape. When I kept on saying over and over again, we've got to get the children back to school as quickly as possible. We've got to get them in school safely. And we've got to make sure that they are not essentially out of school, at home, getting all of the negative consequences. Different parts of the country interpreted that differently. There were schools that stayed closed far too long and longer than they should have. And there were those that essentially didn't close at all. You know, my daughter is a school teacher in New Orleans. They closed down for two weeks and were essentially open for the rest of the time at other And the schools. result was? And the result was, you know, they didn't do too badly. I mean, the kids got infected. A lot of them did, uh, you know, virtually. It was, it was very difficult to determine and say, well, if you shut down this long, you get no negative effect on the child 
and minimal effect on the infection. Those studies weren't done. It was just trying to do as best as you can in the circumstances that you were in. Okay, well, this guy just lies with impunity. And, and, and Christian, I'm a poor CNN. They don't mind. He was not calling for schools to be opened back up as quickly as possible. The schools in uh, New Orleans were closed for months, not two weeks. It's it's just absurd. But let me – and the idea nobody would argue that we need a lockdown. Oh, I'd argue it. And a lot of medical professionals would argue it. You know, what, what's one of the best things you can do to be proactive against a flu, any flu, is to be outside getting fresh air and a lot of vitamin D from the sunshine. Oh, they didn't want you to do that. In California, they're arresting people for going to the beach. You remember that? Remember the videos of arresting people for going to a public park? But I digress. Back to Jeffrey A. Tucker's article here at the Brownstone Institute. He says, notice how CNN had a terrifying graphic ready to run alongside Fauci's comments. This still is particularly evocative with the Statue of Liberty in the background. Not that anyone would suggest this was staged, he said with a nudge. And you got the images of the freezer trucks in the foreground. He says these images from Getty are not even from March or April of 2020. The UK Daily Mail ran them alongside an article posted on May 6th, noting that the images were from May 6th and 7th, 2020. And he links to the entire gallery. And it's just, it's ridiculous. So he says the excuse that we had to lock down because of freezer trucks does not hold water. The lockdown edict was issued on March 16th, 2020, following the declaration of emergency on March 13th, three days after Trump's advisors convinced him to issue the lockdown. In that time, the funeral parlors and morgues closed too, as did most all medical services. The country was also in panic, which is not generally good for public health. That there was a wave of death in those two weeks is clear. What's not clear is whether that was COVID alone. After all, the virus had been circulating in the U.S. since at least October 2019. The period of 15 days was also the time when intubation was deployed as the best method to deal with a seemingly problematic COVID case resulting in many unnecessary deaths. And he links the words unnecessary deaths linked to an article from October 7th, 2022 entitled how many people did ventilators and iotrogenesis kill in April, 2020 written by Michael Singer. Boy, if they did intubation on you, you probably weren't going to live. I'm just put it that way. But he says, What's crucial by he, Jeffrey A. Tucker, back to the original article. He says what's crucial here is the timing. Two weeks following the lockdowns, the news media began running alarmist stories of the legendary freezer trucks at hospitals, giving the impression of a movie-like pandemic sweeping the country, whereas the problem was centered in only a few locations. These stories ran for a full month throughout April and into May of 2020. On March 29, 2020, 
The New York Times quoted Trump himself saying, I have been watching them bringing in trailer trucks, freezer trucks, because they can't handle the bodies. There are so many of them. This is in essentially my community in Queens, New York. I have seen things that I have never seen before. Now, not much of this makes sense. In this very period, New York City Hospital saw an overall 50% drop in admissions, which is what happens when you close down all services to spare all resources for one virus. If you add to that a shutdown of the entire industry of funerals, funeral homes, morgues, and cemetery services, one can imagine that a crisis would ensue. Even the normal embalming protocols were disrupted on the advice of the World Health Organization and the CDC. The bodies of the dead were treated as icky and untouchable, and this attitude was encouraged by authorities. So workers were terrified. And here he links to a New York Times article entitled, She Witnessed the Pandemic's Toll from Inside a Funeral Home. Jeffrey A. Tucker, brownstone.org, says, It's hardly surprising that bodies piled up and needed to be stored. The whole population, and especially the health community, was told that the whole of life should be organized around running away from the bad bug. These events unfolded two weeks following essentially the same events in Italy. Morgues closed. The normal process of dealing with the dead was dramatically interrupted. Workers were at home. Don't you just hate that word, workers? Why not employees? Anyway, funerals were banned, and this ban was heavily enforced. Medical personnel were especially terrified of death from COVID. All of the factors led to a pileup of bodies in the midst of a panic. The chaos caused by the panic itself was deployed by the media and used as an excuse by government to intensify and prolong the lockdowns. This is like shouting fire in a crowded theater and citing the ensuing panic as a reason for an evacuation order. The fomenting of panic itself created the conditions for the panic managers to enhance their own power. In this case, however, the ploy is pretty obvious simply because of the timing. The freezer truck excuse, frankly, does not fit the timeline. Or we can give Fauci the most charitable interpretation of his comments and say that he cited the freezer trucks as evidence that they did the right thing in locking down two weeks or one month earlier. Even then, if that is his thinking, that doesn't justify the initial lockdown at all. It only cites the evidence of the failed policy as a reason for the policy itself. In addition, the problem was localized, whereas the shutdown was countrywide. This led to a bizarre situation in which hospitals all over the country were empty of the usual stream of patients. People missed diagnostics. They missed elective surgeries. At least 300 hospitals furloughed nurses because they had nothing to do except practice dance routines and put the results on TikTok. All of this transpired at a time when Fauci and Trump were going on about mass waves of death. Indeed, in this exact period, healthcare spending actually declined by 8.6%. On the urging of intellectuals and officials from February of 2020, 
Hospitals all over the country closed their services at the very time when they were likely needed the most. Gone was any serious discussion about how to treat COVID other than to invoke ventilation and remdesivir, which was a disaster. And here, he links to the article, Brett Swanson from March 21st of this year, called Dr. Frieden's Follies. And we're going to share that with you momentarily, because the remdesivir and the ventilation, they were a disaster, and that's coming up. But he says early treatment was dogmatically rejected as nothing but a quack cure. All efforts, even from the earliest days, were focused on the vaccine as the only way to get out of the pandemic. Regardless of the excuse, the public relations team that defends the lockdowns never mentions Sweden. Because this case demonstrates that panicked rights violations are generally not a good path for boosting public health in the case of a new virus that newly appears in the awareness of powerful people. To this day, no one can give a clear official reason how or why this happened or what was achieved by it all relative to the cost. Even so, they will not admit that their entire lockdown paradigm was wrong from the very beginning. They should, but they will not. It wasn't just implemented poorly and inefficiently. It never should have happened at all, and it should never happen again. Now, again, that is the great Jeffrey A. Tucker over brownstone.org. Article is entitled The Freezer Truck Canard. It just dropped May 1st, 2023. But coming up, because we need to make sure we don't let this go, because if we do, they'll do it again. Coming up, Dr. Frieden's Follies by Brett Swanson at brownstone.org. Coming right up on the Doc Washburn Show. The world is going crazy with supply chain issues, record-setting inflation, and sky-high gas prices. Woke corporations stand against everything we believe in. The big box stores were allowed to stay open all during the pandemic, while so many little guys, small business owners, regular people were forced to close. The wealthiest people on earth became better off while mom and pop businesses suffered. What can we do about all this? How can our voices be heard? Well, we can make a difference by voting with our dollars. Why continue shopping at big box stores if you can get the items you need from a family-owned company? These products we're talking about include fresh American-raised beef. Raised in the Montana mountains near Yellowstone, this beef is known as Never Ever. Never has the animal ever been exposed to antibiotics, hormones, or vaccines. This prime or high-choice beef is shipped directly to your door. Pricing and availability is exclusive only to our members and isn't shipped anywhere else in the world. Now, finally, we can shop factory direct at a family-owned, made-in-America manufacturer. Americans are walking away from the big box conglomerates. One of the best ways to get around this crazy inflation is a shop with family-owned companies that put their customers first rather than shareholders and corporate executives. A lot of Patreon influencers have come on board. I'm inviting you to join with fellow Patriots to cut off the cash flow of the big, woke corporations that are trying to destroy our country. We're done with a woke, globalist operation against humanity. Each of us can take market share away from these businesses that have enjoyed unfair advantages. We can choose to help each other by shopping family-owned, made-in-America. 
Join with over 2 million monthly shoppers that have already made the switch. Let's start voting with our dollars to make sure our purchases are supporting companies that promote freedom. This company is dedicated to offering family-owned alternatives for items we buy on a regular basis. Email us at buyonlyusa at proton.me, and I'll have one of my guys contact you. Buyonlyusa at proton.me. Now, our friend Mike Lindell has a passion to help everybody get the best sleep of your life, and he's done it again, introducing MyPillow 2.0. MyPillow 2.0 has a brand-new temperature-regulating technology that keeps you comfortable throughout the night. MyPillow 2.0's new fabric dissipates heat and humidity to create a cooling sensation to maintain a cooler surface temperature. This new fabric technology helps regulate your body temperature through the night by creating a lower surface temperature for a more restful night's sleep. You know, your core body temperature plays a big role in how well you sleep. MyPillow 2.0 was developed to provide a cool surface. It's engineered for comfort. MyPillow 2.0 is available in four loft levels, machine washable and dryable, and there's a 10-year warranty, 60-day money-back guarantee. As a special introductory offer for my listeners, when you buy your new MyPillow 2.0, you get a second one free just by using promo code DWS. Now, Mike also created the best bed sheets ever. They look great. They feel great which means an even better night's sleep for me, which is crucial for my busy schedule. My wife and I just love sleeping on our Giza Dreams sheets. Right now, buy a set of Giza Dreams sheets for just $29.98 by using promo code DWS. My pillow also has blankets in a variety of sizes, colors, and styles like plush, waffle, or gossamer. Get huge discounts on blankets, duvets, quilts, and down comforters on all my pillow products just by using that promo code DWS. And I can't say enough good things about my new My Slippers moccasins. I had no idea slippers could feel this good. Right now, say big on My Slippers, slip ons, and moccasins. Close out sale price is just $25 by using promo code DWS. Not only that, Mike's having the biggest closeout sale ever on his sandals for just $19.98. What makes My Slippers different? Is Mike's exclusive four-layer design you're not going to find in any other slippers. My slippers' patented layers make them ultra-comfortable, extremely durable, and they help reduce stress on your feet. Wear them anytime, anywhere. Just use promo code DWS for huge discounts. And remember, that doesn't stand for washed-up Democrat politician Debbie Wasserman Schultz. No, 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 no. DWS stands for Doc Washburn Show. MyPillow.com. Quantities are extremely limited at these amazing prices, so please order now. Just use promo code DWS. Now, the great Ronald Reagan once said, Inflation is as violent as a mugger, as frightening as an armed robber, and as deadly as a hitman. Have you thought about the benefits of investing in precious metals? Here are five profound benefits of investing in precious metals. Number one, investing in precious metals is a hedge against inflation. Number two, it's a great way to diversify your portfolio. Number three, asset liquidity. Number four, precious metals tend to be a store of value. That means precious metals are an asset, commodity, or currency that maintain their value without depreciating over the long haul. Last but not least, number five, precious metals can be a hedge against geopolitical uncertainty and the struggling U.S. dollar. So we're honored to join forces with Beverly Hills Precious Metals and its owner, Andrew Sorcini. 
Andrew has been involved in gold and silver for over 40 years. Andrew Sorcini and his team at Beverly Hills Precious Metals know the gold and silver business inside and out. After many years in the markets and collecting precious metals privately, Andrew opened Beverly Hills Precious Metals in 2010 to bring precious metals to the homes of everyday American citizens. We found out about Andrew Sorcini and Beverly Hills Precious Metals from General Mike Flynn, and we're glad we did. Andrew is a frequent guest on conservative podcasts. Beverly Hills Precious Metals is our gold buyer of choice. To learn more about Andrew and his team, go to bh-pm.com. The BH stands for Beverly Hills. The PM stands for Precious Metals, bh-pm.com. If you can't remember that, just Google Beverly Hills Precious Metals. No matter what search engine you use, it's the first thing that comes up. Make sure you ask about the General Mike Flynn silver coin, too. And let them know Doc Washburn sent you. We're honored to be able to tell you about Beverly Hills Precious Metals, an effort to help you in your attempts to protect your family's finances, wealth, and investments. bh-pm.com or Google Beverly Hills Precious Metals, and tell them Doc Washburn sent you. All right, we go now to back to the Brownstone Institute, Brownstone Institute, brownstone.org. Brett Swanson's article from March 21st, 2023, Dr. Frieden's Follies. He says, over the weekend, Dr. Tom Frieden, former director of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC, delivered the Saturday essay in the Wall Street Journal. If you had any illusions that public health officials were in a contemplative mood, perhaps chastened by the last three years, newly capable of learning or showing even a hint of humility, think again. It's difficult to cram so much bad pandemic analysis into just 2,200 words. So the article, Wall Street Journal, Saturday essay, March 17th, 2023, was entitled, What Worked Against COVID, Masks, Closures, and Vaccines. Subtitled, Millions of Lives Were Saved in the Three Years of the Pandemic, But Millions More Were Needlessly Lost, and the World is Far From Ready for the Next One. So Brett Swanson here says, If you've read other odes to military-style Chinese pandemic management, you understand the sand-through-your-fingertips argument. The pandemic was so devastating that we lost 20 million lives. Masks, lockdowns, and vaccines, however, were so effective, we saved tens of millions of lives. And if we'd only masked, vaccinated, and locked down harder, with a more wartime mentality, we could have saved most of the 20 million we did lose. The argument presumes the supreme effectiveness of every measure and works backward to grade its own work. Heads we win, tails you lose. Now, Frieden is correct that the most accurate way to assess deaths from the pandemic is to estimate excess mortality, the increase of deaths over the historical baseline. This avoids the tricky task of classifying cause of death, though. Plus, it captures the totality of pandemic policies for good and ill, or at least a sound analysis would. Frieden cites an estimate of 20 million excess deaths worldwide, but then spends the rest of the article playing number games. He implies, but doesn't say, these are all COVID deaths. 
He fails to grapple with the leading-edge data and science and forgets to add up the intervention costs, including the reality that some of those costs are excess deaths. He doesn't attempt to explain how so many people died of non-COVID causes, including brand-new studies showing a spike in maternal mortality. He also fails to address non-mortality effects such as the economy, addiction, mental health, and falling birth rates. Frieden says all the intrusive mandates limited deaths, especially in Canada and Israel, which he says skillfully, quote, used masking and selective closures based on accurate real-time data just before a wave hit, unquote. But he doesn't mention that Sweden's conspicuous refusal to close up shop or force masking resulted in the very lowest excess mortality in Europe. In other words, Sweden didn't do the things Frieden lauds, yet achieved the best results. Yes, Sweden enjoys favorable demographics and health, yet it outperformed its Nordic neighbors with similar profiles. Looking across nations, economists at Johns Hopkins found little or no relationship between lockdown strength and COVID mortality. Even if one conceded that masks and lockdowns have some tiny effects, it cannot be said they determine pandemic policy success. The story within the United States shows the same lack of lockdown efficacy. Casey Mulligan and colleagues compared U.S. states and found that more severe lockdowns did not result in improved health outcomes. And here he links to the article from February of 2023 from the Paragon Institute. He says, but the severity of government response was strongly correlated with both worse economic outcomes and worse overall outcome scores. They also confirmed that people left lockdown states and moved to states with less severe measures. And the California, a young state which imposed strict measures, and Florida, an older state which was more open, had roughly equal health outcome scores. Frieden claims that masks proved to be surprisingly effective. Yet he doesn't address the new Cochrane Review meta-analysis, the most thorough and authoritative analysis to date, which integrates 78 randomized control trials of mask usage. It found just the opposite. The masks showed no beneficial effect. Is it really that complicated? Everyone wore masks and the virus spread everywhere. Do you get that? Let me repeat that. Everyone wore masks and the virus spread everywhere. Just as respiratory viruses experts predicted pre-pandemic. Frieden's audacious assertions of lockdown benefits are matched by his equally egregious failure to address their enormous costs. Frieden mentions foregone health care, but doesn't tie it to lockdowns. It just happened. He does criticize school closures, but doesn't include them in any cost-benefit analysis. He totally ignores lockdown effects on his own stated key metric of excess mortality. Neither does Frieden mention the macroeconomic effects, which always impact health, if indirectly. After tens of trillions of dollars spent and printed in an effort to supposedly replace 
lost production. We're left with the worst inflation in 40 years, subpar growth, a wobbly banking sector, and significantly reduced labor participation. These are not incidental downsides that can just be whisked away. Frieden then deploys the big guns. Assertion of lives saved, so outrageously gigantic, they can only be meant to stun readers into submission. He claims that most of the 20 million deaths occurred among the 3 billion people who were never vaccinated. The first year of vaccination alone is estimated to have prevented more than 14 million deaths. Now, we've shown over and over how preposterous that second claim is. It's based on yet another computer model from Imperial College London. The first claim is a less familiar formulation, but nearly as silly. A few general observations show why it's so implausible. For one, all-cause excess deaths and COVID-19 deaths were highest in high- and upper-middle-income nations with high vaccination rates and lowest in low-income nations with low vaccination rates. Really? And he's got the charts, by the way. He brings, he brings the receipts. He says, is Frieden claiming that an astronomical portion of the small number of unvaccinated people in high income, highly vaccinated nations, were dying, but that almost none of the much larger number of unvaccinated people and low-income, low-vaccinated nations were? Yes, high-income, highly vaccinated nations tend to be older, and low-income tend to be younger, but the mortality differential between high- and low-income nations is vastly greater than the age differential could generate, especially when accounting for vaccination status. Zoom in on the United States. According to the official data, the U.S. suffered 350,555 COVID deaths in 2020 and 475,059 in 2021. Now, despite the administration of 520 million vaccine doses in 2021, COVID took over 124,000 more American lives in 2021 than it did in 2020. In other words, the pool of unvaccinated Americans shrank by around 250 million in 2021, but COVID deaths rose by 35%. Or look at Scotland, which keeps somewhat better and more detailed data according to vaccination status. Between August 2021 and February 2022, at least 85% of COVID deaths were among the vaccinated. By late spring 2022, the figure had surpassed 90%. 90% of COVID deaths among the vaccinated in Scotland. Soon after we pointed this out, they stopped publishing such data. The average age of COVID deaths in many nations is around 80 years old, or close to the average age of all deaths anyway. So clearly... Most of the 20 million deaths Frieden cites cannot be due to COVID mortality among the unvaccinated, and for no other reason than the vast majority of COVID deaths occur among the elderly who happen to be highly vaccinated. But that only leaves non-COVID deaths. Why would the unvaccinated be dying of non-COVID causes? They wouldn't at least not because they're unvaccinated, we must also dispense with a seeming sleight of hand. Or maybe Frieden doesn't realize what he did. Remember, quote, most of the 20 million deaths occurred among the 3 billion people who were never vaccinated, unquote. 
Well, nearly all people worldwide until mid-2021 were unvaccinated. And most of the 20 million died of non-COVID causes. Is he counting all excess deaths in 2020 and part of 2021, whether from COVID or lockdowns or whatever, as unvaccinated before a vaccine was even available? Seems like a non sequitur. Oh, we're not finished. For many nations, from Germany to Japan and Singapore to Australia, both all-cause deaths and COVID deaths only spiked after they deployed the vaccines. And then he has charts of a new actuarial analysis of German data that shows that all age cohorts survived 2020 rather well. Then in 2021 and 2022, as Germans received 191 million vaccine doses, mortality exploded among nearly all adult age groups. He says you can see this persistently high excess mortality pattern in highly vaccinated nations, even in Israel, one of Frieden's favorites. And then he embeds the chart for that. He says, as we noted in a recent survey of global mortality among high and middle income nations, all-cause excess deaths in 2022 were actually correlated with higher vaccination rates. These facts add to an already ironclad mathematical and biological certainty that the vaccines could not have possibly saved 14 million lives in the first year of vaccination alone. Frieden's claim is based on a ridiculous computer model which can output anything you like depending on the assumptions you feed it. It does not need to resemble anything in the real world, and indeed this one does not. The models spit out crazy things. If you don't double-check them against reality, you can look wildly foolish. Both actual COVID and non-COVID mortality were far worse after the vaccines in 2021 and 2022. In the computer model's fantasy world, however, we were poised for an acceleration so supergalactic that the worst performance was actually a big win. In December, we analyzed a model from the Commonwealth Fund, which is similar to the imperial model of Frieden sites. The Commonwealth modelers claimed that in an alternate no-vaccine universe, the U.S. was going to suffer 4.5 times more COVID deaths in 2021 than in 2020, and fully 6.9 times more in 2022 when the milder Omicron variants dominated. Even before Omicron, a host of pre-vaccine studies found an overall infection fatality rate of just 0.15 to 0.2%. So the claim is that the vaccine saved tens of millions of hypothetical people from a fictional pandemic that suddenly got seven times worse. It's a preposterous, counterfactual daydream. And he has more more charts. He says Frieden's fantasies cover up something even worse. While he's touting the false effectiveness of masks, lockdowns of vaccines, and wishing for more, he's ignoring a true crisis. The bulk of evidence now points to vaccination as a key factor, not in a mortality reduction, but in an historical increase in mortality. One of Frieden's biggest failures is to distinguish outcomes for different age groups. Deaths of 20-year-old students or 40-year-old mothers hit differently than 95-year-olds. Frieden doesn't acknowledge the crucial facts, which are apparent in life insurance data and the more granular country reports.
which are young and middle-aged, healthy people all over the high and upper middle income world navigated 2020 with relative success, but then started dying at alarming rates in 2021 and 2022. They are dying mostly not of COVID. The crisis of sudden adult death syndrome. And I actually have an abbreviation for it. It's so common. Sudden adult death syndrome. They call it SADS. The crisis of that sudden adult death syndrome, or SADS in particular, and the non-elderly mortality rise in general cannot be blamed on too little masking, vaccinating, or locking down. Instead of dashing to diagnose and douse this five-alarm mortality fire, Frieden is pushing for, you guessed it, more pandemic preparedness. If we weren't exhausted from unpacking the lockdown mask and vaccine misdirection, we would spend more time on Frieden's spurious claims that antiviral medications and hospital treatments were especially effective in combating COVID. Surely, he must be joking. The U.S. government led a war against safe, cheap, effective antivirals such as ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and insisted on a dangerous, experimental, hospital standard of care called remdesivir. They've never been asked to explain how so many people died of COVID in the hospital if remdesivir were at all effective. The failure of public health authorities to honestly appraise a series of historic failures shows why they were so ill-suited to the task. Perhaps they do not have the skills to analyze, execute, learn, and course correct. Or maybe the institutions from the FDA and CDC to local and state health departments to medical schools lack some kind of organizational fortitude or resistance to groupthink. We've known for decades healthcare is broken economically. A silver lining of COVID is the realization that science and medicine are broken in even more fundamental ways and that we should triple our efforts to remake the entire enterprise. Well, you know, I'm thinking here, uh, lacking the ability to resist groupthink, I wonder if that has anything to do with the fact that one man, Dr. Anthony Fauci, for decades controlled all federal government funding of scientific and medical research. Gee, I wonder. Because as the great Lord Acton once said many years ago, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Remember? I think that's right. Remarkable article there by Brett Swanson over brownstone.org. It's entitled Dr. Frieden's Follies, and it dropped on March 21st, 2023. All right, it's that time again. Hit it, Brian. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. And it's brought to you by Red River Auto, big old car dealership in the middle of the USA, Red River Auto, believes in freedom including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice the way you want to online and have it delivered to your front door anywhere in the continental USA. Now, it's kind of a two-parter here. we got the great Tracy Beans over on Twitter, 
saying the United States government doesn't want the Mike Flynn case to be heard in Florida. So she put together a thread of their legal argument for doing so. Of course, they want it transferred. They want to change a venue to Washington, D.C. Second part is the great Hans Monkey over the EpicTimes.com saying, DOJ is desperately trying to transfer the Mike Flynn case to D.C. The arguments are beyond ludicrous, like that a federal judge in Florida doesn't understand the law as well as a federal judge in D.C. He says, why is it so important for the federal government to defend their cases in Washington, D.C.? Well, the question kind of answers itself, doesn't it? The same reason that uh, January 6th defendants can't get a fair shake in Washington, D.C. Well, 92, 94% of them voted for Biden. You can't get an honest jury pool. That is your tweet of the day brought to you by Red River Auto. We appreciate Mitch Warden and the crew over there. You've been listening to episode 378 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. The views and opinions expressed on the Doc Washburn Show do not necessarily reflect those of our advertisers, but they love us and we love them. If you have any questions for us, email us, contact at docwashburnshow.com. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a Terribly Messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript to today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansour's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smooth Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansour Sempier X, Senior Vice President, Engineering, IT, and Interoperability for the Doc Washburn Show. Well, that's the way it is. Tuesday, May 2nd, 2023.